and uh, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. And we're going to be teaching tonight on the golden altar of incense. Praise the Lord. The golden altar of incense. This altar was most holy unto God. It is a a type and a picture of our prayers and our worship unto the Lord. It is the heart of the tabernacle. When you study the tabernacle, it is right before the veil in the heart of the tabernacle itself. So prayer and worship incense is dear to the heart of God. It is most holy unto the Lord. Your prayer and your worship also speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as all the pieces of the furniture speak of Him. The altar of incense is in the tabernacle itself in the holy place, right before the veil. The altar of copper is out in the outer court where the sacrifices were made. The altar in the outer court, the altar of copper, speaks of Jesus for us, dying for us as sinners. When we come to the golden altar, this speaks of Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead for us as saints, for us as saints. So by His death we receive forgiveness of sins and by His resurrected life in the heavens, resurrected Lord, He maintains communion for us and helps us through all of our trials. Exodus chapter 30. Can you hear me okay out there? Okay. Is there a whistle sound? I'm getting a whistle here and I don't know where it's coming from. Okay, can, did that go away? It went away. Okay, that's probably coming from me. I got so many wires on me that it's picking up other communication devices. Amen. Exodus chapter 30 in the word of the Lord. You're glad to be in the house of God tonight. Please keep me in your prayers. Trusting God. The tabernacle is quite a challenging study. Exodus chapter 30, beginning with verse 1. Thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon, of shittim wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four squares shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be of the same. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, and the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof. Thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about, and two golden rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it, by the two corners thereof, upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it. They shall be for places for the staves to bear it withal. Thou shalt make the staves of shadow wood and overlay them with gold. Thou shalt put it before the veil. That is by the Ark of the Testimony. That's the Ark of the Covenant. Before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet 
with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning. When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So two times a day, uh, this incense is renewed before the Lord. Verse 9, You shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meal offering. Your Bible may say meat offering. It means a meal offering. Neither shall you pour drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. Now go over to verse 34, same chapter. And we have there the list of the ingredients of the incense. There are five ingredients of the incense that will be placed upon that altar. Okay. Verse 34, The Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stack tea, and oinch, and galbanum, and sweet, these sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be a like weight. Okay, so we have stacti, oinch, oinch, sorry, onicha, and then galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense. We have four listed there, correct? Of each shall there be a like weight. That means they're going to be equal. In verse 35, thou shalt make it a perfume of a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary. After the art of the apothecary. These are chemist priests. These are priests that are involved in chemistry. That's an apothecary. Tempered together. Now that's where you get your fifth ingredient because the word tempered means to be salted. Okay, so you have five ingredients. When to temper it together, pure and holy, and thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee, it shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not make it to yourselves according to the composition thereof, it shall be unto thee holy for the Lord's. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. Uh, Psalm 141, verses 1 through 2. David, being familiar with the things of God and what their prophetic implication is, being knowledgeable in these things tells us in Psalm 141 verses 1 and 2 what the incense is a picture of. Psalm 141 verses 1 through 2. David being a worshiper and a man of prayer 
Lord, I cry unto thee, verse 1, Psalm 141, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So we have in the scripture of David explains to us the incense is a picture of our prayer. Now there's many things in the book of Revelation and other scriptures that we'll talk about in the New Testament that will bear this out as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Father, we lift our voice to you. In a solemn assembly, we thank you tonight for your presence. We understand, Father, that every prayer that we lift up in your name is sacred. It is most holy unto you. We know tonight that the angels are gathering the prayers of this people in this house, even now, as they pray, that they may present them upon the golden altar in heaven before your throne. We ask, Father, tonight that you would anoint us, that you would inspire us to not only to declare your words, but to receive it. That our hearts and our minds and our spirits, our attitudes, every part of our thoughts would be taken captive for your glory and for your honor tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Sunday night the Lord had led us to preach to you about how the uh, cherubim keep the way open to God so that man can communicate with God after the blood was shed. And it's tremendous to me to see how God will bring another message almost well, it is back-to-back, -back basically, on prayer. You're going to see the same thing once again. And when I preached it to you Sunday night, I did not even think about this service. But you'll see it again tonight in this message, okay? So let's go back to Exodus chapter 30. And uh, we will cover the details of it. Amen. Now, if you will look up here, you will see uh, the golden incense altar. And you have a, another picture of it here. All right, so whatever you can see best, you can see it there. Uh, anyway, this is the golden altar of incense. As I said, it's covered with gold. The shadow wood speaks of the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gold, of course, speaks of his deity. Now, in the outer court, we had another altar. So there's two altars. There's the golden altar that's in the tabernacle, and then there's the copper altar which is outside of the tabernacle in the outer enclosure. And on that copper altar, as we said, that's where the sacrifices were made. Speaks of Jesus Christ, Christ our true sacrifice. When we come into the holy place where the golden altar was located, this speaks of Christ, our intercessor. This speaks of Jesus as he is now risen from the dead and he is in the process being in the heavens interceding for us it doesn't mean he's on his knees praying for us but that means that the finished work to be accomplished on the cross is making intercession for us the finished work 
what we need to understand is that we need the Lord on the copper altar for our sin, for forgiveness, and we need the Lord's the golden altar risen from the dead because as saints of God, we need help. Okay? As we travel through life and we're burdened, we're tested, we're tempted, we're tried, we're pressured, we need to know that the Lord who has gone through all of that is able to, as Hebrews said, succor us. That means secure us. So because of everything he went through in life, all the suffering, all the temptation, all the trial, all the testing that he went through in life, he's able to succor us. That means secure us. When we go through all of our testing and all of our trials and all of our crushings and all of our problems and everything that we go through so that when we look at this altar here, this is Christ in the heavens risen from the dead succoring us or securing us as saints of God. Okay? And I thank God for that because I need Him. He can be touched with the feeling of my infirmities. We have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That means he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities because he was tempted in every way just like we are. So the infirmities that we have, the weaknesses that we have, we need to know that Jesus is risen from the dead. He's the God-man. We need to know, number one, as a man... He knows what it's like to go through life. So now listen, are you with me up to this point? So when we think about the risen Lord in heaven tonight, we need to think about two things. The shadow wood, His humanity, and the gold, His deity. We need to think about Him as a man. That means He went through everything even more than you and I could ever go through. And so as a man, he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities when we go through things. But he's not just a man. He's a glorified Son of God now in the heavens. He's God in the flesh, so that's the gold. And that helps me to understand that he has the power as, uh, as God to get me through the problems. So when I look at Jesus in this golden altar, Christ my intercessor, as a man I know He can be touched with my infirmities. Not with my sin. He can't be touched with your sin because He's sinless. So the Bible doesn't say He can be touched with our sin. It says He can be touched with our infirmities. That means our weaknesses. He can never be touched with sin. So when you're going through problems in life and you think that Jesus doesn't care about what you're going through, the testing, the trial, the pressures, all the things you go through, you need to remember that as a man in the heavens, he can be touched with the feeling of your infirmities because he went through more than you could ever go through as a human being. But he's more than a man. He's gold. He's God. That means he has the power. He's the almighty God to come and help the saints and deliver them through those times of trials and testings and problems. Okay? 
you understand that. I thank God for that tonight. He's the Christ that saved me from my sin. He is the Lord Jesus Christ that secures me as a saint. Okay. This is the wood. Thou shalt make it out of shot and wood's a picture of it here. Um, it is hollow on the inside. So we see the shot and wood, the humanity of Jesus. Just going to go down here and um, give you some animation. Appreciate Brother Bo getting me this contraption. And as soon as I say that, I do that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let me concentrate. Right, that's the animation there. Okay, shot and wood, y'all see that? Okay. Yeah, it says you shall cover with pure gold. So that's a picture of it. Notice it's got four horns. We'll talk about all of that in just a minute. Four horns, four directions, etc. Give you some animation to show you how that shouting wood was covered. So you can see how the shouting wood is overlaid with gold. That gives you the animation of it. And then you see the hollow center of it. Now the inside of it, the hollow interior of the altar was not covered with gold. It was only covered with gold on the outside and on the top. It's got the crown on the top there. Okay, then it talks about the rings. There's only two rings in this particular piece of furniture. The other ones had, uh, like the table of shoe bread, etc., the altar outside and the outer enclosure had four rings. This only has two rings. And they put those staves through those two rings. Now, as they traveled through the wilderness and they carried that through the wilderness, covered it in blue and badger skin. Numbers 4, verse 11, I believe it is, says that. Then that altar would look like a golden censer as they walked with it. So it was as if prayer was continually being made as they walked with it through the wilderness. That's why there's only two. So it would pivot back and forth. And now you see the staves of shining wood. They're covered with gold. It'll give you the animation. place of course the stays in those two rings you see how it would swing back and forth 
as they walked with it because they carried it on the shoulders of the priests. And this shows the position of it. Uh, you should put it in the front of the partition or the veil that is by the Ark of the Testimony in front of the lid that is on the testimony where I will arrange audience for you. So God's going to meet with them there. He's in the outer, uh, he's in the Holy of Holies over the Ark of the Covenant, but he's going to meet with them as well at this altar of incense. We'll get into all of that. And we see the incense going up from the altar. What is interesting, the apothecary that made that incense, they were so skilled. Obviously, they were taught by God how to make the incense with those five parts. We read to you the stacti, the ornitia, the galbanum, the frankincense, and then tempered salt. They were so skilled in making that incense that when they made it and they put it on the fire which came off of the altar out in the outer enclosure for sacrifice it went straight up and history says tradition says that a family other than that designated family tried to make this incense and it would not go straight up they didn't have they didn't know what ingredients or how to put it together so that it would go straight up that family when they made it it kind of just filled like a cloud everything but those that were designated to make that incense that knew how to do it when they put it together it went straight up and it didn't spread out now that's a miracle I don't know if you've ever seen a fire but I've never seen a fire that you could send a straight stream of smoke up I mean smoke normally spreads out but they were so skilled when they put those, that combination of those ingredients together went straight up to heaven, just like that right there. Okay? So praise the Lord. As I said, it speaks of the resurrected Lord in heaven tonight. He is there making intercession for us. Uh, amen. As saints. Now, let's break it down. Let's look at it. Let's teach it if we can by God's grace. So God says in Exodus chapter 30, verse 1, Thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon a shite of wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, so about 18 inches by 18 inches. All right? And then two cubits high. That's about three feet high. And we're talking about cubits, though, here. So two cubits speaks of the church age, 2,000-year church age. Now... This is a high piece of furniture. All right? The scripture tells us, uh, after giving us the size of the golden altar of incense, the Bible says it has horns. Shall be of the same. So you can see the horns up here on the altar. You see those four horns. Okay? And horns speak of, I mean, they're on the animal. They speak of strength, salvation, security, and power. Strength, salvation, security, and power. That's what the horn represents. So when you go to God in prayer and you offer incense unto the Lord, you offer prayer unto God, what's going to happen is you're going to receive strength, okay, salvation, security, and power. God's going to deliver you. All right? 
strength, salvation, security, and power. It all speaks, also speaks of the kingship of Jesus. The horn speaks of kingship. Uh, go to Habakkuk 3. And in the prophet Habakkuk. He makes reference to the hand of the Lord. That's uh, in the Minor Prophets section, Habakkuk chapter 3. That's where all the pages are stuck together. Okay. We have a vision of the glory of the Lord here, or the Lord Himself, in Habakkuk 3. And His brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of His hand, and there was the hiding of His power. So, horns coming out of the hand of the Lord, the power of God. We have four, four horns on this altar. Strength, salvation, security, and power speaks of the kingliness of Jesus Christ. Now, also has a crown around it and adjacent to those horns. And that speaks of Jesus in His glory as the risen Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords. Uh... He is the rejected one as far as the world is concerned. But as far as the church is concerned, we know He is the King. So we have these horns on that altar. In verse 3, Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, the sides thereof round about, the horns thereof, and thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. Okay? As a crown, he's crowned, and eventually, when he returns, he'll be crowned with many crowns because we'll cast our crowns at his feet, recognize him as the king worthy of all praise. But verse 4 Two golden rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it by the two corners thereof. So now we only have two rings instead of four. On the two sides of it shalt thou make it, they shall be for the places for the staves to to bear it with all. Okay? So four directions, four corners, four directions, north, south, east, and west. Let's go to Numbers 4, verse 11. And this shows us how they transported uh, the altar. Numbers 4, Verse 11, upon the golden altar they shall spread a cloth of, of blue. Of course, that speaks of the heavenly nature of Jesus, the Lord from heaven. And they will cover it with badger skin. So as they're transporting it through the wilderness, the blue covered the Lord from heaven and the badger skin. Uh, there's no beauty that we would desire Him. Uh, as it travels through, and it says it shall put to, uh, and shall put to the stays thereof. Okay, so that's how they would transport it. And let's go on. The location of it tells us the way the, the, the stays are made out of shadow, but also overlaid with gold. 
Uh, verse 6, Thou shalt put it before the veil. So now we know the location of it's right before the Ark of the Covenant, right before the veil. So the Ark of the Covenant is in the Holy of Holies. Then you have the veil. And right in front of that is the altar of incense. Okay? And verse 6, God says, There will I meet with thee. Okay? Aaron shall burn there for sweet incense. The Bible says it's in the morning he's going to do this, and then again at night uh, in the evening he's going to do this. So it's going to be offered twice a day. It's a continual thing. Okay? Uh, you shall offer no strange incense thereon. So now he tells us no strange incense. There can be no strange fire, there can be no strange incense. It has to be pure worship. It can't be false worship. Okay? Now what that's saying is this. Remember on the day of Pentecost, whenever the Lord filled His people with the Holy Ghost, fire set upon their head. Y'all remember that? Okay. So that the Holy Ghost in them was what fueled the fire that caused, the, if you will, the incense to ascend. Right? <clears throat> so... When you talk about offering uh, holy incense unto the Lord, not strange incense, then it can't be a strange worship to God. It can't be false worship to God. It has to be anointed by the Spirit of God. Now, anybody can praise the Lord, but not everybody can worship the Lord. Okay? To praise Him, to say good things about Him. Anybody and everybody can praise Him. But only a saint of God can worship Him because you have to worship Him in spirit and in truth. So until you become a born-again believer and you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you are not a priest. And only priest, only the high priest, in fact, worked with the fire on that altar. Okay? So we, want to, we don't want to be like Nadab and Abihu who offered strange fire unto God. We don't want to be like Korah who took a copper Sensor instead of a gold sensor, him and his bunch, and tried to offer uh, incense unto the Lord, and God killed them. A strange fire. It's false worship. Okay? So, in order to be in this tabernacle, remember we taught you before, on the inside of the tabernacle, that's for the priest. Only born again believers, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, born again of the water and spirit, can worship God in spirit and in truth. Now, if you're not born again today, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you don't have the Spirit of God in you, you can still praise the Lord. But you cannot worship Him without worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. So when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost in you is the fuel for the fire that causes the incense of your worship to go up unto God. Does that make sense? There are a lot of people that take the songs of Zion and they sing them. And they're not believers at all. They don't know God at all. And they sing them. It is strange fire before the Lord. Okay? Because this is something that, that is for the priests of the Lord. These are for the saints of God. It's not for the sinner. It's for the saints of God. So God says, no strange incense. And it can't have strange fire either. All right, you with me so far? Okay. 
let's go on a little bit further. Uh, verse 9, You shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meal offering, neither shall you pour drink offering thereon. So you're not going to burn a sacrifice on there. You're not going to pour um, drink offering on it, and you're not going to put a meal offering on it. Why is that? Because when you get in this part of the tabernacle, the sacrifice has already been made on the copper altar in the outer enclosure. So there is to be absolutely no sacrifices placed on this altar of incense because that takes place on the copper altar in the outer court. Does that make sense? So because when you get to this point in the tabernacle, that sacrifice has already been made on the copper altar you don't bring a sacrifice and put it on this altar and burn a sacrifice, a meal offering, burn offering, or a drink offering in the presence of God because here is the finished work. See, Jesus, is, He didn't ascend up to heaven to die again up there. Okay, He died once, that's it. Once He ascends up to be in, in glory, there's no more uh, burnt offerings or meal offerings or drink offerings that are put on that altar. This is an altar of incense, okay? You clear on that? You understand that? Alright, and Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the skin offering or the sin offering, excuse me, that would be the bull for the priest and the scapegoat. And the scapegoat took the sin out and they killed. Let me explain to you. Okay, Leviticus 17, 16. Two goats on the Day of Atonement. Once a year, Day of Atonement. They took one goat and they killed it. That goat, that blood was taken from that goat. And it was going to atone for the nation, the whole nation. They took the bull. They killed the bull. That was for the priest. They took that blood... Leviticus 16, and it says on the Day of Atonement, now remember, where is this altar located? Right in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Right, right in front of the presence of God. Right in front of the veil. Hey, Leviticus 16, 17 through 19. Read it. I don't have time to read it tonight. But you will find what the passage is speaking of in Exodus 30, verse 10, Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement once in a year. So that once in a year sacrifice on the day of atonement, the Bible says in Leviticus 16, 17 through 19, that the priest took the blood of the goat, the blood of the bull, and he sprinkled it seven times on that golden altar so that the blood was applied seven times before the presence of God and then seven times on the Ark of the Covenant itself on the Day of Atonement. Very, very significant, very special. Okay, before God. All right, go with me so far. So that's what it's talking about here. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement once in a year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. Okay, let's go over to the New Testament.
First Thessalonians chapter five. And David said, as we read, David said that uh, the prayers, let my prayers be as the incense. So we know that incense, this altar of incense speaks of prayer. Now Jesus, while he's on the earth, prayed constantly and continually. Now he's in the heaven representing us. You say making intercession, that means representing the saints of God. Okay, First Thessalonians chapter 5. Bible says in verse 17 it says for us as saints of God we are to pray without ceasing pray without ceasing all right so Aaron went in uh, say went in well he offered incense twice a day in the morning and at night okay so it's to be continually before the Lord this is a picture of our prayer life I would say in this is going to convict me and it's going to convict you too that as a minimum we should be praying in the morning and at night as a minimum we should be praying at least two times a day that puts me in a conviction that puts you in a conviction but we are to pray without ceasing now in the morning and night we should find a place of prayer we go to God in prayer and lift up incense lift up our voices in prayer unto the Lord but then it says we are to pray without ceasing obviously you can't live 24 hours a day on your knees so what he's teaching you is to be in an attitude of prayer constant attitude of prayer to be constantly talking to the Lord in prayer that means listen carefully all of your attitudes you talk about prayer and you talk about incense you're talking about something that's coming out of you it's being voiced right it is your attitudes that you bring before God when you pray it is all of your inner beings all the inner workings of your life all that you are as a human being everything attitudes everything you are presenting them to God and it's going up before his throne okay so when it says pray without ceasing, we're talking about an attitude of prayer. It's not always on the knees. And then he says in verse 18, everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Okay, so praise the Lord. Now let's go to Acts 16. He says very, very sacred, very holy unto the Lord. Acts 16, 13. And on the Sabbath, we went out to the city by a riverside where prayer, where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the woman which resorted thither. Okay, so now this scripture teaches us that prayer, now we say we pray prayer. But really, it's okay to say I prayed a prayer, but really prayer is not prayed. Prayer is made. 
Acts 16, 13 says, where prayer was wont to be made. The way, and I'm going to show you what I mean by that. You make prayer. Okay, I make prayer. I don't pray prayer. I make prayer. Prayer is made. And it's made by all the attitudes and all the innermost parts of your being. You take all the things you're going through. Like I told you earlier, Jesus is risen from the dead. Risen from the dead, representing the church as our great high priest. He was tempted. He was tried. He was tested. He suffered. He was beaten. Okay? And therefore, this is a picture of Jesus making prayer for us. Okay, you with me so far? That means he's already been through everything that you and I could possibly go through so that when we pray and we make prayer, it goes up before him and he's touched by that and he gets us through it. He gets us through because this is him representing you, the church, as you go through your troubles. And so he gets you through the trouble. So as you make prayer, want to be made. Now, let me explain this to you by going over to Exodus and we are going briefly to talk about the incense in verse 34 the Lord tells them after he tells them how to build the altar of incense the golden altar of incense he tells them how to make the incense. Right? So the first thing, if you look in your Bible, in verse 34 of Exodus 30, over there, because I'm going to show you how to make prayer. Where prayer was wont to be made. The first thing God tells them to do is He says, get stacti. Are you with me? Stacti comes from a tree, and it means to drop. It means to distill, like distillation, like when you distill water. Okay, water, when you distill water, you heat water up. So stacti literally means to distill, like distilled water. You heat it up. It means to drop. It means to ease. So when you pray unto the Lord, the stacti is a picture of spiritual truths. Just like David said, let my prayer be like incense. He's showing you that that incense has spiritual truth to it. So when you bring the stacti, that ingredient of stacti, you are bringing the oozing part of your life. You are bringing that which drops down in spiritual fervency. Because still that distillation is created by heat. So you heat it up, and you begin to pray, and you drop that prayer in spiritual fervency. It's a dropping of fervent prayer before God. Okay? That's stacti. It has to be crushed. The the tree that you get that ingredient from has to be crushed. So as it's crushed and it oozes and it drops that gum of distillation, 
it's a picture of when you are going through life and you're crushed and you're oozing and you're dropping. In, in fact, it's used to embalm the dead with. So it's when you fall on your knees before God and you're dying to yourself. You're dropping fervent prayer before God. It's oozing out of the innermost part of your being because you've been crushed. Not only is it used to embalm the dead, but it's used for perfume. So it's very beautiful, but that's where you get the statue from. So when you make this prayer unto God, you are coming to God in a time in your life when you are crushed, when you are oozing, you are dripping forth, there's distillation going on, it's heat, it's hot, you're dying to yourself. You put that in and you read in the prayer. That's one of the ingredients that make up your prayer, but that's not the only thing. So when you come to God, don't think that you, you come to Him and everything's wonderful, okay? Or where everything's going your way. This is what stops so many people from praying. Yeah, well, I had a bad day. So they don't even make it to the prayer room. That's when you need to go to the prayer room because that's that's when you're you're dripping. <laughs> okay? You're oozing. You're crushed. It's heated up. Okay? Uh, you're dying. And so you make your way to the prayer room with a little stack tea. And then you get as the next part of that prayer in its sleep. Onycha. And I know I'm not pronouncing that right, but O-N-Y-C-H-A, Onycha. And the Onycha is taken from a shellfish that has been broken. They open the shellfish up, they break the shellfish, and they, they scrape from the mother of pearl this ingredient. The word onicha also means to go to the depths. What God is saying to you when you bring that ingredient of your life, again, there's a breaking forth. As you bring this substance from the mother of pearl, there's a breaking forth that begins to come out of you as you're broken in the presence of the Lord. And as you, you have, you understand? This, shell, this substance that's taken out of the shellfish is when you start breaking through. It's when in the time of your life where you are, if you will, broken. And as you come before God in your broken condition, you are producing that ingredient. And as you break that, as you bring it to God having been broken, what happens is you're going to start breaking through with a shout. You're breaking forth. You're breaking out. Okay? So you have to bring that ingredient to your prayer of breaking out, the scraping of the mother of pearl, 
In some cases, the shellfish was crushed. All right? And as I said, the word also means to go to the depths. So at this point, as you begin to break through, you have a breakthrough. The shout starts coming out. Okay, you're pushing, if you will. You have to have a breakthrough. You have to break out of your shell. People are in their shells. Okay. So what God is showing you by this particular ingredient is you got to break out of your shell. You come to church, you got a shell. You know, we talk about walls. People have walls. In this case, this ingredient is a breaking out of your shell. In order to offer this kind of prayer unto God, you have to be willing to break out of your shell tonight. If you don't break out of your shell, you cannot pray this kind of prayer. So as you break out, Mother of Pearl is straight from it. It's a part of the ingredient. It means to go deep, to go to the depths. So what you're doing is you're bringing something deep to God. Okay? You're going into the depths of your experience deep down. You're going deep into the purposes of God for your life. You're seeking God. God, what is? what do you want me to do with my life? What is your will? I'm going to go deep into your will. I'm going to go deep tonight in prayer. Some of you are so, I don't have a clue what you're looking at. That's fine. That's fine. In order for you to determine the will of God in your life, you have to bring this ingredient here, the shellfish of breaking forth and going deep down and saying, God, I'm going to pray here tonight until I know your will. And You may not, once you get up off of your knees in that time of prayer, have heard a word from God or an angel come to you and tell you what He wants you to do. You may not even know until years later exactly what He wants you to do with your life, but you know at that specific time in your life when you broke through, you got through your shell, you went to the depths and to the depths of the purposes of God for your life. You brought all the experience that you could possibly bring to that prayer and you lifted it before God. And God accepted that deep, deep prayer that came from a crushed, broken life. A time when you said, I'm not going to stay in my shell, I'm coming out. Okay? Okay? So that's what the word means. And I'm giving you the meaning of the words, I'm giving you their root meanings. Right? So you're going to bring that which is in the first one, stacti, that which is dripping and oozing that which is distilled. You're bringing that which embalms the dead. You're dying to yourself. It's a perfume unto God. You're bringing in the next one. The breaking forth of the shellfish, which produces the ingredients from the mother of pearl, and you're going deep, deep into the purposes of God, and you're bringing the depth of your experience to God in prayer. That's what that means. And it's all in a time of crushing. The next one he says to bring 
is galbanum. Get a little galbanum when you make your prayer. Galbanum is also comes from the gum of a tree. It means the fatness of the tree. So when you bring this ingredient galbanum, you're bringing the fatness of the tree, which means your riches. So that when you come to God, you don't bring what's left over. We are so busy that if we can bring a five-minute prayer to God, we think we're okay. But this word here, Galbanum, is teaching you that when you come to God to bring proper prayer to God, you have to bring that which is the fatness of the tree. You have to bring not what is left over, but you've got to bring the riches of your life to Him. Something that's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you some time. It's not what's left over of my day. It's specific time that I've set apart unto God, and I know there's competition for that time, and I know there's things that I could be doing. But I'm saying to God, this is so important to me, I'm going to bring to you the riches of my life. So I'm going to bring that galbanum, the fatness, the riches of my life. And galbanum, interestingly enough, is used as an insect repellent. So that when you bring this galbanum, the riches of your life to God that's coming again from the tree that has been crushed as well. You are creating an, a repellent, an insect repellent. And Satan was called Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies. So when you bring the fatness of your life to the riches of your life, and you put it in the ingredient of prayer, and it's costing you something to seek God, what is happening when the Lord of the flies, Beelzebub, comes to torment you, to oppress you, that prayer that you've lifted up to, to God will drive that Lord of the flies away because you've got the ingredient of Galbanum in your prayer. You've got something that costs you in your prayer. The next ingredient he says you're going to put in it, he says you're going to put frankincense in it. Frankincense means white, white. It means pure. It means holy. Are you with me so far? That which is pure, that which is holy, that which is white before God. The word frankincense also means to stay all night. So that when you come to God with frankincense, you're bringing an ingredient of intimacy. Intimacy. You're saying, God, if you want me to, I'll stay all night with you. And this relationship that I have with you in an all-night relationship, frankincense is pure and it's holy and the bed is undefiled. God says take some of that frankincense and put it in and then he says it has to be tempered that means take salt and put salt in it 
And salt speaks of covenant. There's a, there's a salt covenant. It speaks of covenant that you're in with God. Salt is a purifier. Salt is an ingredient that will keep decay away. Amen? Salt speaks of pure speech. So when I temper it all together with the salt, I'm bringing pure speech before God. And that's what it means what prayer was wanting to be made. When you pray, what He's saying is, you're bringing all the experiences of your life all the attitudes, everything, every trial, every test, every pressure, every fire, every temptation, every brokenness, every crushing, your happy times, your sad times, you're bringing all of that before God. And all of those things, the Bible says, they have to be equal amounts. You can't have more stat tea than you do gabanum or ornage or frankincense or salt. They all, they all have to have the same amount of ingredients. Okay? There has to be balance. So you bring all that to the Lord. Sometimes you're just so filled with joy and you've got so much peace and things going your way. You're praying and you feel so good. And sometimes you're full of sorrow and pain and suffering and agony. And then God says, you take all of those ingredients at equal weight. And he says, you, you crush them. You beat them. Very small. Make them very small. What he's saying is, are you with me? I'm going to repeat it again. As you bring the oozing forth, the dropping, the distillation, the dying. As you bring forth that which is something that is deep in your life from the depths. Crushed shellfish, the pearl. You bring the gum from the tree that repels the insects, the fatness of the tree, and the frankincense, the whiteness, the purity, the holiness. Stay all night with God as you bring all that and temper it with salt. It's holy unto God. But you have to beat it really small. That means you have to pray it and say it and pray it and say it more than once until you get it very fine. Beating also speaks of the sufferings in your life, the beatings that you take in serving God. Jesus, when he walked the earth as a man, he prayed constantly, constantly. His disciples, when they saw Jesus pray, they said, teach us to pray. There was something about the prayer life that gripped the disciples' heart. They said, teach us to, to pray. Show us how to make that kind of prayer. In Jesus' life, it was beaten very small. He suffered so much and was broken and, and tempted and tried and tested and already went through all of that and went through the fire and everything. So that when he prayed, it was beaten. It was beaten very small, very fine. And that's why when Jesus prayed, it was effective. 
That's why when Jesus could walk up to a tomb with a dead man in it, he didn't have to wrestle. He just says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes forth out of the grave after being dead for four days. You know why? Because Jesus had spent so much time in prayer, making prayer, these ingredients of his life, beating them small and going through the suffering he went through so that when he went to raise people from the dead, he didn't pray for them to come out of the grave. A long, long prayer. He had already prayed. And so when it came time to raise people from the dead, he just said, come forth. Because the prayer had already been made. That's, that's why when Jesus, when they come and get him in the Garden of Gethsemane, that's why he doesn't go to pieces. The reason why you and I go to pieces in our life is because we haven't been praying. But when you pray like Jesus and you say it over and over and you pray it and you pray it and you pray it, when people come and take you to crucify you, you don't go to pieces. Why? Because you've already prayed. And so in Jesus' life, you will see miracle after miracle after miracle as a man. He, yeah, he can work miracles as God, but as a man, he raised the dead. The God-man. Because he prayed. If we would take the time and, and offer all the attitudes of our life and all the innermost beings of our person and bring them before God, and all the suffering that we go through and all the crushing and the dying we go through and the happy times and the good times. We would keep that before God in holy prayers. It goes up before Him. You will see miracles breaking out in your life. When you start going through troubles in your life, you will not go to pieces. You will not lose it. Because you have put the ingredients of prayer together. And it's holy unto God. You when, when you put your your prayer and tears begin to fall from your eyes, the Bible says, the psalmist says, David said, my tears are in your bottle. They're recorded in your book. Every prayer that you pray, when that tear oozes or drops from your face, liquid pain comes out of your eye. An angel gathers that tear, puts it in a bottle and offers it to God. And the word that's used there in the Psalms, it talks about the bottle that your tears are put inside of is a wine bottle. And what God is saying is, I'm going to take your tears and I'm going to turn it into joy. I'm going to catch all your sorrow and all your pain. And those angels are going to put him in the bottle. And when they offer him to me, he said, I'm going to take those tears of pain. I'm going to turn it into wine. I'm going to turn it into joy. But the angels are catching your tears when you pray unto God. Holy, holy unto the Lord. When you bring your suffering and your sorrow and your grief and your pain and your agony. And then your happiness. the glad times of your life. Lord, I'm being tempted right now. That's the ingredient of prayer.
Lord, I'm being tested right now. That's an ingredient of prayer. I'm hurting, God. That's an ingredient of prayer. I feel good, God. Ingredient of prayer. Say, praise the Lord. God wants you to pray without ceasing. He wants you to be a priest unto Him and you present your prayers unto God. And I promise you tonight that if I'm not praying and I'm not offering all of these ingredients that He mentions, backed up by the sacrifice of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that's where the fire came from. Worshiping Him in spirit and in truth as I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. If I'm not praying tonight, I promise you, I've got big trouble. If you're not praying tonight, you come in here and you're completely oblivious in your life. You're going to pieces. Failures all around. You don't know what to do with them. God is showing you prayer. It's important to God. Amen. And it's so holy unto God. The Bible says in Hebrew chapter 9 and verse 4 that on the day of atonement when he was sprinkled seven times with the blood it's interesting Hebrews 9 verse 4 this piece of furniture that was located in the holy place right in front of the veil the Bible says it was located in the holy of holies and the tabernacle had only one piece of furniture in it the holy of holies had only one piece of furniture in it and that was the ark of the covenant but on the day of atonement if I understand correctly, Hebrews 9 verse 4, they took that altar, that golden altar of incense, and put it in the Holy of Holies with the altar because it says it was in the Holy of Holies. The golden censer says it was in the Holy of Holies. Exodus says it was before the veil. Hebrews 9 4 says it was in the Holy of Holies. That means they had to move it. Now, here's what I want you to hear. If they didn't literally move it on the Day of Atonement into the Holy of Holies, what happened? Spiritually speaking, when that high priest took all of those ingredients, that apothecary, after the art of the apothecary, apothecary was a priest that was a chemist. He was an artist in making this stuff. And when they put it all together, on those coals of fire, that fire came off of that altar of sacrifice out in the outer enclosure. That fire was sitting in that golden altar, and when they placed that incense on top of it, it ignited. Went straight up before God. And as soon as God smelt it, He came out from behind the veil to meet with Him. So when you take all the agreements of your prayer and you make that prayer, God's going to come out, if you will, from His hiding place. And He's going to meet with you. And you know that. You know, in the prayer room tonight, appreciate all of you who came to pray tonight. I saw some of our, our new uh, men in the church in that prayer room praying. Let me tell you something, you're headed in the right direction. Because when you first go in that prayer room, you've had a tough day, a rough day, a hard day, a long day, and you don't feel anything. 
if you start mixing those ingredients after the art of the apothecary and you become a chemist priest before God and all of a sudden God comes out of his hiding place and meets with you and you feel his presence and you feel the lifting up just as that incense goes up you begin to feel lifted up because that is the power of prayer it's most holy unto God God wants to hear our prayers in the book of Revelation in the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation verse 8 As I told you before, it was in the heart of the tabernacle. This is close to the heart of God that I'm talking about tonight. Sometimes you don't feel like God wants to see your face or hear your voice or what's the use of not doing too good. That's an ingredient in prayer. It's holy. Most holy unto God. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. When he had taken the book before beasts, Remember those cherubim we talked about Sunday night that kept the way in, into the presence of God? There was that altar right before the presence of God and as the incense went up, he came out and met with the people. Watch this. The Bible says, when he had taken the book, the four beasts, and the, uh-oh, four beasts, there's those living creatures that I told you about Sunday night that keep the way open for your communication to God. These four beasts, these four living creatures, Revelation 4 describes them. It says, When he had taken the book, the four beasts, and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. So here we go again with the cherubim. They actually, here in the book of Revelation, are seen with the communications of the saints or the prayers of the saints. With the 24 elders, okay? They have, all of them have censers. All of them have golden censers that are around about the throne. These four beasts and these 24 elders. So you got the four beasts adjacent to the throne of God. And then you got the 24 elders around them. And every one of them has one of those golden censers in his hand. And the Bible says they are the prayer of the saints. Revelation chapter 8. Why do these angels and why do these cherubim, or these cherubim, these angels have the saints' prayers? What do they do with them? In the 8th chapter of the book of Revelation, when he had opened the seventh seal, see, I'm feeling that the Lord tonight. See, it's not always the way we want it, okay? And I'm listening to me tonight, okay? This is the way God wants it, this is the way God gets it. You know, sometimes I'm trying to say to me tonight, see, Sometimes we think we're going to come in here and just going to. Sometimes God says, 
this is the way we're going to do it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And we don't play God. He plays us. He tells us what to do. Okay? Because we think we got to have church a certain way every time we come. Not true. And I'm not about to put on a show. What's this? When he'd opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets, and another angel came. Are y'all reading there? And stood at the altar. This altar he's standing at is the golden altar of incense. Now remember. In the tabernacle is patterned after the heavenly tabernacle. So in heaven, we've got this angel standing over against this altar, the golden altar. Remember Zachariah was in the temple and he's offering prayers. As he's praying in the temple at the golden altar, and Gabriel appeared to him on the side of the altar. Who appeared to him on the side of the altar? An angel beside the altar of incense, picture of prayer. So he's praying, he's offering incense, and angel Gabriel appears to him and the people outside of the temple, and they're praying the whole time. So he's praying, they're praying. It's all connected to this golden altar. So now we have this angel coming to the book of Revelation, standing by the golden altar. That's the altar of incense. Having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much, what? Incense. Where did he get this incense? To him was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints. It's amazing. Upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Now look at this. It's the angel that is offering incense with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar in heaven before the throne of God in heaven. We have the heavenly, which the earthly was a picture of. I'm trying to show you the activity of angels in your prayer life. So, so that when you pray, and that incense goes up, or your prayer goes up like incense, and you're mixing those ingredients together, the angels are taking your prayers. And the angels are putting your prayers on the golden altar. Okay, with me? And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So as you pray, and your prayer goes up before the throne of God, the angels somehow gather your prayer, capture your prayer, present it to God on that golden altar. And as it goes up before God, your prayer goes up before God. Then the Bible says they take that, that incense, you hear me? 
uh, the censer, you fill it with fire of the altar, and uh, well, off the altar, you go on the and cast it in the earth. So what we have here is the prayers going up, received by the angels. The angels are pre presenting them, putting them on the golden altar, and they ascend up before God. Your prayers do. And then the response to that prayer is God's answer. We see God's answer falling back on the earth. We see the prayers of the saints coming back on the earth. We see so really what we have here is God answering the prayers that have been prayed. And his answer comes back on the earth and it shakes the earth. Look at it. He cast it in the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. This is what happens when you pray. As the angels gather those prayers and put them on the altar and they send before God and God says, okay, now angel, take it and cast it back to the earth. This is the answers of God. And God is answering those prayers and when he does, it's shaking the earth. There's lightning and there's thunder and there's an earthquake. This is the response of the earth to the answer of God to your prayer. Something happens when you pray. Something happens when I pray. These angels keep that way out, that way open communication to God so that you can pray and come to God in prayer. When you do, they gather all that up, bring it before God, and God answers that prayer. And there's manifestations in the earth as a result of your prayer. Now, there, there's much to be said about that particular passage. There's going to be the revelation in those times and in these future days. I'll also say it's not only the answer of God to the prayer coming back to the earth. Let me give you more support, more scripture support. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And that's what you see happening here in the passage. It's the binding and loosing of the church by prayer. Okay? Now, what's interesting, there'll be a time if I interpret the scripture correctly that in the time of the tribulation period when these angels are standing before the throne of God and they have seven trumpets and, and the time frame here in the book of Revelation shows us that we're in the tribulation period if I interpret it correctly, there's going to be a time when all the prayers of the church, all the priestly prayers of the church that you have made as a spiritual apothecary, that you've lifted up before God for your family members, for yourself, for the salvation of souls, there will come a time in the tribulation period that God's going to take those prayers and cast them back to the earth in the voices. As we said, Revelation 8 will be heard on the earth. And those voices are the voices of the saints' prayers. I don't know about you, but if I'm not a believer in the tribulation period, and all of a sudden I hear Brother Patrick praying for me, I hear the voice, 
that was prayed for me that went before the throne of God and God took it and put it back on the earth so I could hear it. It wasn't just Brother Patrick that prayed for me. It was Brother Mark that prayed for me. And I saw I'm hearing Patrick pray for me. I'm hearing Mark pray for me. I just got all kinds of voices of prayer around my head. But what I'm trying to show you is God's going to cast them back to the earth. The prayers you're praying for your father, if he's not saved and not born again, he's going to hear that prayer. I believe it. I believe it. Now, I'm not trying to read into the scripture. I'm just telling you the Bible says the voices will be on the earth. How much prayer have you prayed for an unsaved family member? An unsaved dad or an unsaved mother, brother, sister, cousin, who just refuse to live for God? God just going to keep those prayers you prayed for them forever and ever and ever? No, He's going to throw them back on the earth. Those people are going to hear your prayers. I love to see the scripture teach us how powerful prayer is and as God takes that and answers it and pours it back into the earth by way of an answer it just it's, it's amazing to me it makes me want to pray more and when I pray I don't want to do strange prayer or strange fire I want it to be holy I want it to be pure and I know that you do as well. Isn't God good? Look at Revelation 8 again. So we saw those cherubim, Revelation 5 and 8. They had the censers. 24 elders had the censers. And We see the results. Verse 5, And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire on the altar, cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Amen. Isn't God good? Let me close. Go to Numbers, please. Numbers 4. So important to God for us to have a prayer life. told the priest and I read this to you earlier it says upon the golden altar they shall spread a cloth of blue Lord from heaven cover it with a covering of badger skins and shall put to the staves thereof and they carried that through the wilderness Everywhere they went, they carried it. And it did this back and forth. 
like a golden censer. God is showing you as you go through the wilderness journey of your life that it is necessary for you and I to continually and constantly lift up prayers to Him that's able to secure us. He's been tempted. He's been tested and tried and beaten. He knows what it's like as a man to go through what you're going through. But He's also God and He can get you through it. And He uses prayer to get you through it. So just bring all your attitudes and all your most inner being, everything that's in you, and bring it to God and lift it to Him. And He'll use that. I need Him. And I, and I do know, as I said Sunday night, that one of the chief tactics of the enemy is trying to destroy the way of communication. He does everything he can he can to do that. But those angels are there not only to gather your prayers, but to make sure he cannot destroy your approach to God. It's a privilege that Jesus Christ has made for us by Calvary. He maintains it in the heavens. He's not just the Lord on the earth. He's the Lord of heaven. And he maintains our communication. He'll get us through whatever we're going through. If you'll pray. Let's stand. Father, we, we thank you tonight. We come here and we stand in your presence, Father. First of all, Lord, we, as Samuel said, as he prayed that he would not be guilty of sin in not praying for the people. Father, forgive us for the sin that we commit, sins of omission. And when we omit praying, we stand here tonight in your presence, Lord, in need of prayer. Right now, as a priest unto the Lord, as a born-again believer, if you are a born-again believer, why don't you begin to lift up incense, prayer to the Lord. If you need help, if you're in a test, a trial, or a temptation, or if there's victory in your life, if you have need, Present it to the Lord in the form of prayer. Let that incense go up before Him. Lord, let the anointing of Your Spirit Father As the priest would go in and put more fuel on the fire, the fire, the fuel of incense, we come right now, we put some incense on the fire. It is our responsibility to keep that fire burning.
It's our responsibility, Lord, to keep the incense going up. It's the responsibility of a priest tonight. It's my responsibility. It's your people's responsibility to keep that fire going, to offer incense right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. We come to you. We pray in your name. We pray without ceasing in your name.